This is the Moira Pentecostal Church Podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope that you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Twenty-third chapter of Matthew is where we're going to look at tonight for a few moments. And right towards the very, almost the very end of the chapter, verse 37, uh, Jesus speaking said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I want it to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. It would seem almost inconceivable that the Almighty God, the omnipotent, omniscient God, the creator of the ends of the earth, should for any reason limit himself or suppress his desires on the basis of how you or I would feel or act. But there you have it. Chapter 23, verse 37. How often I want it, but you were not willing. We're quick to say, but God, you didn't do this or that for me. Or God, you didn't give me this or that. Or you haven't been this or that for me. But Jesus says, how often I want it. But you were not willing. This implies that God comes to us again and again. How often. But somehow we refuse him. Somehow or other we find reasons to reject him. We find ways to say no, maybe politely, maybe sounding spiritual, but a no nonetheless. And by so doing, oftentimes we limit his purposes for us and his desires for us and his guidance for us. Your words and your actions are more powerful And you think, in fact, they are so much so that you can actually refuse Almighty God. Hell cannot refuse him access because he's conquered that. Heaven cannot refuse him access because he fills all of that. But we can hang a sign around our necks that says, off limits. And the almighty, omnipotent God, the creator of the ends of the earth, will regard it. How often I want it, but you were not willing. How many heartaches could have been avoided if men had been willing? 
and had listened and obeyed. How many marriages could have been saved if men had listened and obeyed? How many men and women are behind prison bars and would not have been had they listened and obeyed? But somewhere along the line, they said no. How many ministries are lost to a needy world? How many demises turn back? How many talents are buried and gifts are squandered and opportunities missed? If only we had said yes instead of no. And over the years, I've had people say to me, David, when I was a young man, I felt the call of God and I didn't do anything about it. When I was younger, I felt the Spirit of God prompting and pressing me, but I didn't listen. One man told me, he said, it was the biggest regret of all of my life, not obeying the voice of God when I was a young man. In Acts 24, there's a story of the Apostle Paul and he's standing, given his defense before Felix. Felix was the procurator, the governor of Judea at that time. And Felix was married to Drusilla and Drusilla was a Jewess. And Paul was standing given his defense before Felix. And it says, but when, verse, 20, verse 22 of Acts 24, but when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, the way was a, was a derogatory term for Christianity at that time. It was treated just as a sect. Now, how come he had more accurate knowledge of the way? Because, as I said, his wife was a Jewess. In fact, it was her father that they had it or put to the sword James, the apostle. It was her great uncle who beheaded John the Baptist. It was her great grandfather, Herod, who wanted to kill the infant Jesus. So she obviously had been well versed in the way. And because of that, so was he. So when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty. Now that liberty was a restricted liberty. It was like kind of house arrest, as it were. He would be guarded, but people could come to him and share with him and give to him. Let him of liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or to visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, what a three-point sermon that must have been. The apostle Paul was a fantastic evangelistic preacher. And you can be sure when and where he got the opportunity, he did not miss and hit the barn door. He gave this man both barrels. 
He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. This man, Felix, was an intemperate man who had very little conscience about anything. Drusilla was his third wife. And so Paul's standing before him, giving him both barrels. And what happens? Felix was afraid. The word in the original means he trembled. His knees were actually shaking. He was shaking in his boots. That was the effect that Paul had on him when he preached. That was the effect that the Holy Spirit had smitten him and struck his heart. So there's no question this man was moved. There's no question he knew about this way. Felix was afraid. He trembled and answered, Go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to this man. The Holy Spirit is moving him. He's under conviction. He's emotionally moved. He's trembling. He knows the truth. He's hearing it from the greatest evangelist ever lived. And yet, in spite of that, he says, go away for now. He put it off. How often would I, but you were not willing. And usually we stop there, but let's read on. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. Now, his motives wasn't pure here. That's obvious. But you can be sure Paul wasn't making small talk. You can absolutely guarantee that every time he and Paul met, no matter what the conversation started out, it would end up with the gospel. But yet, in spite of all of that, after two years, Porcius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Nothing. He was moved. He knew the truth. He was challenged. He was even convicted. But nothing. He did nothing. How often would I, but you would not. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, talks about Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler. Now behold, one came to him and said, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life, that I may have eternal life? Any self-respecting Jew would have felt that the way to eternal life would be good works. Lots of people 2,000 years later still believe that. Lots of church-going people still believe that. What shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. 
So Jesus here is inferring and implying that he's God. And he was and he is. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Now this is not implying that if you keep the law, you're going to get eternal life, you're going to go to heaven. Why? Because no one can keep the law wholly and completely and totally. Paul said in Romans 3, as much as that. The law doesn't save anybody. The law points out that we're sinners that need saved, but it doesn't save us. James says if you break just one point of the law, God holds you guilty as if you broke all of it. That's how high God's law is and how standard is great. So why did he tell him that? Because he was a good self-respecting Jew who was doing his best to keep the law thinking that will get me to heaven. All these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, and now he puts his finger on the spot. Go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's the only time Jesus ever told anybody to go and sell everything. Give it to the poor. Why did he do it with this young man? Because he knew that this had a hold on him. This was the thing that was holding him back and Jesus knew it. So he challenges him. Go, sell what you have, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus knew exactly. Jesus cut across all of the pretense and all of the waffle. And all of the meaning well of this young man. Because he probably meant well. He was a good young man. But Jesus cut across all of that. And he got right to the very heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter was he had great possessions. And those possessions possessed him. And he did not want to give them up. And he said no. By so doing. How often would I, but you would not. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Then his disciples heard it. They were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men it is impossible but with God, all things are possible. The Israelites were in the wilderness. In Psalm 78, verse 40, it said, How often 
They provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How can we stop limiting God's purposes for our lives? How can we stop limiting his destiny to be fulfilled in each of us? There's things he wants to do. There's things he wants us to be. There may be things he wants us to have, but somehow or other we find a way to politely say no. All of us, without exception, has done it. And I include me in that. We find a way to say no. Because it may cost us may inconvenience us. We may have to change something. We may have to drop some of our so-called friends. There's all kinds of reasons. But how can we stop limiting God and allow His purposes to be fulfilled in our lives? By obedience. Remember the words of Mary? We read them over this Advent season. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your words. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's beyond my comprehension. But if God said it, let it be according to your word. That's obedience, isn't it? I'm sure Mary could have found a whole lot of reasons to say no politely. But she didn't, did she? She said yes. She said yes. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus speaking to Peter. He says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Don't understand it. It's the wrong time to fish. We've been out all night when you can't fish and we caught nothing. There's no fish today. But nevertheless, because you said it, I will go out and I'll let down my net. And boy, did they ever get a catch. Nearly sunk their boat. There was that much. Paul, when he had that encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, he said, Lord, Acts 9 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? Two words can change your life forever. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Just two words. That's all it takes. And every one of us who are saved and born again, when you boil it all down, it boils down to those two words. Yes, Lord. There was a battle. There was a struggle in our hearts. We were convicted and we pushed it off. Some of you, maybe you grew up as children and the Lord, but most of us anyway were adults and we put it off and we put it off and we put it off. But eventually, in the mercy of God, he skills drove with us 
And eventually we said those two words. In effect, yes, Lord. I submit. I receive. I bow to you. What if Demas had said, yes, Lord? What if the rich young ruler had said, yes, Lord? What if Felix, the governor, had said, yes, Lord? Their life story would have been very, very different, wouldn't it? But there they go, down the dusty road of history, never to be heard of again. And it just took two words to change their life. Yes, Lord. Sometimes those are the hardest two words, aren't they? <laughs> yes, Lord. Solitarius has said, yes, Lord. Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, all of the disciples, all of them said, yes, Lord. Mary said, yes, Lord. Mary Magdalene said, yes, Lord. Hebrews 11, that real call of faith, all of those Old Testament saints, all of them in effect said, yes, Lord, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Samuel, Jephthah, Samuel, David, the prophets, and the list is long in Hebrews 11. But all of them said, yes, Lord. Obedience and faith are the two things that he wants to hear and see in our lives to say yes Lord faith is trust it's dependency it's submitting to it's believing in it's centering on God I want to show you something tonight not very often I have props in the pulpit there's a tin of Heinz beans with pork sausages and no less. <coughs> Heinz beans. Henry John Heinz was the eldest of eight children born to German immigrants who moved to Pennsylvania in the mid-19th century. They lived in Sparksburg, which was near Pittsburgh. And in that era, at that time, in that little town of about 200 people, when young Henry would look out his front door, as far as his eye could see, would be rolling prairies with buffaloes and Indians. If he wanted to go to the next city, he'd have to get a stagecoach. Train hadn't reached that part of the world yet. But there was great states with big factories and big cities and the train had opened up the west. But Sparkburg was small town. His life was quite simple. He would go to school in the morning. The schoolmaster was a kindly Lutheran pastor. Their main textbook was the Bible. And all of his family, his mom, his dad, him, all his siblings, all of them believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of them believed that Jesus came to this earth as a little baby, grew up as a man, and died on a cross for their sins. All of them 
except that Christ is their Savior. So he'd come home from school at lunchtime. He'd help his mom, who had a big old rambling garden, growing vegetables. He'd help her with the vegetables. That would feed the family. And what was left over that day, he'd put it in a basket, he'd take it down to the town, and he would sell it. The time he was eight years old, it wasn't a basket he had, it was a wheelbarrow. And he would go and he'd sell the vegetables. The time he was ten years old, he had a horse and cart. And he would go and he would sell his vegetables. His mom and dad hoped that he would end up becoming a minister, a Lutheran minister. But they saw he had a great talent with these vegetables, selling them. So he pursued that. The time he was 25 years old, it was a very important year in his life, two things happened. He met a beautiful young woman to fall in love. Sarah Young was her name, and he married her. She was a devout believer. She loved Christ as much as he did. But not only that, he bought a little plot of land, had a couple of rooms and a cellar in it, and they started to make horse, horse radish. Horse radish. Now, in those days before mechanization of these things, people would get them and wash them and peel them. And it was like peeling onions. It wasn't a very pleasant job. And he knew that. So he thought, well, if we could do that for them and we could bottle it and make sauce out of it. And he did that. And it went a bomb. People loved it. They were buying them by the hundreds and by the thousands. He began to build up his business. And all the time he was doing this, he was teaching Sunday school. And then there came a point where he established his business and he called it Henry J. Craft Food Products. And about that time when he just established his business, the church that he was attending had built a new church building and they had a lot of debt. And the office bearers, of which he was one, got together and they said, we have to reduce this debt. All of us were going to ask all of us to make a pledge, a financial pledge. Pledges as big in America. Lots of churches do this to this day. Where you may say, this year I will pledge so much and so they know they can count on that if you keep your word. But whenever it came to him, he was the youngest of all the office bearers. He just had got married just a short time before that. His business was just beginning. All his money was being invested in this new start to get this thing going. And he felt this is going to be tough. But he had promised God that whatever it took, whatever it took, he was going to serve him. And he was going to honor him in his business. And so he gave a pledge. And he honored that pledge. And God honored him. And his business grew and grew and grew. Grew so much that he had to buy acres of land. He had orders coming in from everywhere. And he still had enough. And he needed more vegetables. So he struck a deal with a, 
with a farm in Illinois. And the deal was to this farmer, whatever you produce in your farm, whatever vegetables you produce, no matter how much, I'll buy it for my business. So the deal was struck. And then a problem came. Because I think it was the next year, the biggest harvest that farm ever had in that area was after he struck the deal. In fact, that farm was, the harvest was so great that Henry Hines couldn't keep up with it. It was costing him $1,200 a day. And he couldn't afford it. He couldn't get rid of that many vegetables. But he had made his word and he kept his word and he was a believer, a Christian man. And he says, I kept my word. I promised that man I must pay this. But the trouble was, he ended up losing his business. Normally he would go out and ask the bank for a loan. But at that time, banks weren't given loans. In fact, they were shutting businesses down because a recession had hit. And he lost everything, every penny, every dime. He lost a lot. But the story doesn't end there. This is a man that said yes to God. This is a man that by faith and obedience said, I'll trust you and I'll serve you through this. And because he was now bankrupt and owed lots of money to lots of people, he had a little book. He called it his MO book, his moral obligation book. And even though legally he was free from all debt because he was declared bankrupt, but morally, he said, I still owe these people. And he made it his business. Took him a while, but he made it his business to go to every single one of them and pay off every single dime he owed. And it so impressed the business community and his family and his relatives when it all paid off, they all came to him and said, you must start this business up again and we'll help you. And one man gave him a free lease on some land. And families and members started to help him. And he began all over again. And he made that business into such a business that began to export all across the United States. And then he would come into Britain and Germany. And he opened shops in London. Fortnum and Mason was the big store then. And they were the first to buy his beans. And then he opened a shop near the Tower of London apparently. And the business just keep growing and growing and growing. And during all of that time when his business was getting bigger and bigger, he still was involved in Sunday schools. And the year before he died, Henry Hines took 29 pastors and businessmen to Korea and to Japan and China to try to teach them the value of teaching children the gospel and the scriptures. Fifty-seven varieties, it says in this tin. You know how that came about? He was driving through a city one day on the train, and he looked out, and there was a big billboard, and it was a famous shoe company. They said, we have 21 styles of shoes. And he thought, 21? I've got more styles of food I can sell. So he came up with the idea of 57 varieties. Do you know that for years and years that was the biggest slogan in advertising in the whole world? 57 varieties. Still famous to this day. When he died, 
the time of his death in 1919, the Heinz firm had employed 6,523 people, 26 factories, 227 offices and premises, and 100,000 acres of farmland. Food was being sold in six continents, more than 200 countries. And on February the 14th, 2013, the business was sold for $23 billion. <laughs> Not bad for a wee farm boy who said yes to God and obeyed and had faith and trusted him to the day he died. When the obituaries were published in the press, his own order of priorities in life was fairly reflected. It says, Henry J. Hines, churchman. That was the first thing. Churchman, philanthropist, manufacturer. The real passion in his life, said the dean of Pittsburgh University, was his religion. And Henry J. Hines made it clear and what he meant by religion when he prefaced his last will and testament with these words. Looking forward to the time when my earthly career shall end, I desire to set forth at the very beginning of this will as the most important item in it, a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior. <laughs> isn't that lovely, isn't it? All of those years, through all of those troubles and setbacks, he never wavered. He said, yes, Lord. And he never took those words back. And his business is still growing to this day. So when you go into Tesco's, they left a ton of beans. Remember Henry John Hines, the man who said yes to God and never looked back. And God honored him. Amen. How often would I, but you would not. Let not that be said of us tonight. Let it be said of us, no matter what we are going through with God. We are not going to give up or quit or stop or hold back. We're going to go on and on and on till we reach the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you have given each of us a testimony. Maybe not as startling as the one we've just heard, but a testimony of your faithfulness and your goodness and your mercy nonetheless. So help us, Lord, in our way, in our time, in our day, to say yes to you and no to whatever would hold us back from your purpose. Lord, we want to fulfill your will in our lives, in our day. We don't want to get to heaven and discover what we've missed it. We want to know that we've been faithful to the call. So we give you thanks for this. We pray you'll give us the grace and the strength and the help to do it, to honor you in all of our ways, all of our lives, to the glory of God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or even download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.